We all know that we ought to pray. We understand prayer to be a duty. When thou prayest, we also understand that in the word of God, prayer should be a delight. Not one or the other, but both together a duty and a delight. And in light of this, prayer is in many respects a thermometer of our spiritual health. Where there is no prayer at all, that of course brings great concern. And yet also, the content of our prayers, they also reveal our spiritual temperature and they reveal our hearts. How we pray and what we pray for, they are insights into our spiritual condition. Now, in light of all of this, we also must remember that we can learn how to pray. The disciples were taught by the Lord, this is how to pray, our Father which art in heaven. And so in all of these things, we can learn to do the right thing, and yet from the wrong heart. Sometimes we can pray with the right heart and yet pray the wrong things. But in essence, we still come back to the same conclusion that our prayer lives, they are, they are a significant revealer of our spiritual condition. But the heart is perhaps best revealed in our spontaneous prayers in response to circumstances. Not so much those formed prayers. Even the prayers that are offered publicly here, they, are, they follow a certain form. Not those planned seasons of prayer when we find ourselves saying, I'm going to pray now, and you may use a prayer journal or some other thing to direct your prayer life. But I'm talking about those times, those spontaneous times of prayer, when something happens and you find yourself forced to get before God in prayer. That may be a time of trial. Some great trial comes upon you and you find yourself turning to God. In those seasons, your hearts are particularly revealed. It's also true in times of blessing. Do we pray on such occasions? And if we do pray, how do we speak to God in such a season? You see, we are reading here the prayer of David at a time of great blessing. Verse number 18 says, Then. Now, what's the then? The then is in response to all that David said. Verse number 17. David has communicated the will of God to, or Nathan, sorry, has communicated the will of God to David regarding his house. In, in grand affairs and grand matters as to the purpose of God for David and his sons, indeed for a kingdom and a throne that shall be established forever. Then, in light of that, in a spontaneous fashion, David finds himself compelled in heart that he's got to get before God. The turn of phrase is, is very beautiful in verse number 18. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And there's all manner of different ideas. There are some who object to the idea that David sat before the Lord. You don't read in the Bible of people sitting for prayer. Well, perhaps we do here. But if it's not referring to posture, it is certainly referring to permanence. He spends a time before God in prayer. It's denoting this idea of a lengthy season, but it's a lengthy season that comes spontaneously in light of God's blessing, and it is a tremendous revelation of the heart of David. 
we're seeing here, where if you like, the, the Lord is opening up the doors of David's heart that we could see inside and see, here's what a man after God's heart looks like. And we see it revealed in how he, prayers, how he prays. It is, of course, an inspired model prayer. And just to note, by way of introduction, when we see what this prayer looks like, we do see a model of prayer. We see a man praying in humility. You think of his wonder at God's grace. Verse 18, Who am I, O Lord God? Those are great words to begin prayer. You pray in that regard, you're immediately for God in humility. Who am I that I could even open my mouth in prayer to thee, the living God? Who am I to expect blessings from God? Who am I that ever have the ear of God? And David comes with that profound sense of humility. He says, who am I and what is my house that has brought me hitherto? It's one of those occasions where you read a very simple clause in the Scriptures, and yet there is so much underneath the clause, that thou hast brought me hitherto. Think of all that's involved in that. All the way my Savior leads me. That sense of David, come before God. What am I that you've done this for me and, and my house, you've brought me to this point? From the sheep coat, a, a humble shepherd, and now I find myself as king over Israel. And beyond that, you're going to do things for a great while to come. Verse number 19. He's overwhelmed by gratitude and profound humility before his gods. What are you tonight? What am I tonight? You know, there are some of us and we find ourselves wrestling with the problems of God. We wonder how we've got to this point. But yet we must understand that as we would get before God in prayer, what, what am I that thou hast brought me hitherto? I'm alive by God's grace. I believe in Christ still by God's grace. All the circumstances of life, and yet I'm still in the will of God, these things are true for the child of God, for every child of God. And we, we, we have a very similar approach as David has here, one of humility and thankfulness for all that God has done. But of course, David's prayer is even greater than anything we could pray. For verse number 19, he says this, And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? I draw your attention to this because it's one of the most challenging portions in this part of God's Word. The word manner that's used here is a translation of the Old Testament word Torah. You'll know the word Torah referring to the law of God. It's again still used in Jewish culture even now. And so people have said, well, what's involved in this term or phrase translated for us here? And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Is it simply David saying, how can you deal with man like this? Such as man, such as their sin. How can you do so much for a mere man? Is that what's involved here? Well, perhaps, but it may well be the case that what's involved here is David saying, is this the plan for humanity? Is this your decree, your purpose for all humanity? And so it may well be a time when David is revealing something that Peter refers to in Acts chapter 2. David being a prophet and knowing Knowing what? That of his loins would come the Christ of God and sit upon the throne. It may well be David's 
amazement at the grace of God that in his line is going to come the Messiah who will reign forever and forever. Perhaps that's the insight here. So David falls in humility and wonders at God's grace. Humility and prayer. We also see in his prayer life, we see a model of orthodoxy. He prays in a manner that is, that is very correct and biblical. It's an inspired prayer, of course, but we shouldn't miss it. You look at verse number 22, Wherefore thou art great. He understands that he comes before a God of whom there is none like. Neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we've heard with our ears. That's how we must approach our God. With a certainty there is one God, and Jesus Christ is his Son. With a certainty that there's no other God. We've got to pray in that regard. We must be orthodox in our praying. We say all that matters is sincerity. No, we must not take the Lord's name in vain in prayer. It matters that we pray orthodox prayers. The content of our prayers matter. I know young people, some of you young folks here, you may find yourself moving away and going somewhere else. And you may find yourself in a church where there is a casualness in prayer that may well lead and may well imply some very bad theology. And so be careful as you perhaps visit a new church and wonder, is this a church I can raise my family? Listen carefully to the public prayers. Because prayers must be orthodox. They must be accurate. And we see David praying in this regard. He acknowledges God's sovereignty. Again, as he reflects upon all that God is doing, verse number 21, he says this, According to thine own heart hast thou done these great things. That's a phrase again of God being able to do things of his own free will. God not constrained or restricted, but able to do that which he pleases for his own name's sake. It's an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. Even as he prays, he understands that God works in time and in history for the sake of his name. Verse 21, for thy word's sake. David understands there's been a promise. And he's praying for the promise to be fulfilled so that God's word is publicly seen to be reliable and true for thy word's sake. Verse 23, he refers to the name of God to make him a name. He understands that God does all things for his own glory. Verse 26, and let thy name be magnified forever. Uh, it's certainly my burden as I pray publicly in this place to continue to come back to these things. If you hear me repeating it five, ten times in a prayer, so be it. For the sake of the Son, for the sake of the name of God, for the sake of the glory of God. That must be the impulse in our prayers. And if we are not praying for the glory of God, we're praying amiss. It's not necessarily the only outcome we can pray. We can pray for our own good, for our own benefit. We can pray for the building of the church. We'll come to those things. But when it comes to the very end of all things, it must be the glory of God's. And as you pray for your own lives and your own circumstances, search your heart. Make sure your prayers are orthodox for the glory of God. Humility, orthodoxy, fervency. You see tremendous boldness and fervency in his prayers. Verse 25. This is often prayed in prayers. Do as thou hast said. That's prayer. That's it in a nutshell. What is it to pray? Do as thou hast said. We have your word. You've told us your purposes, your plans, your promises. Do as thou hast said. That's fervency in prayer. You see, some would say this is not appropriate. 
David is demanding that God does something. He said in verse 18, who am I? And yet you get down to verse number 25, do. But not do as David says, but do as God says. And so that's what drives our fervency in prayer. Not do my will, but do thy will. You get the same in verse number 29, the portion we're going to turn to, where again he says, Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, O Lord, for thou, O Lord, God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. And so we're seeing a spontaneous response to God's promises in David's life. And it is wonderful to see so much a challenge and to instruct us in our prayer lives. I made a wee note just in my own notes at this point. I said, Lord, give me a heart like this. I want seasons where I find myself shut in with God. I've got to get before the Lord. I've got to sit before the Lord. I find compelled in my conscience. I, I can't do anything else but get before God. I want those times. I'm sure you want those times as well. But beyond that, this inspired prayer, I don't want to look at it simply as a model of prayer and give you those general applications, although they're very, very helpful. But I want to show you that verse number 29 is a prayer that we ought to take for this church, particularly this congregation, particularly this ministry. That verse 29 has an application that relates to our own times in this place, in this year, as we serve the Lord. That we have the right to legitimately take this prayer directly and say, therefore now let it please thee to bless the church of Christ in Malvern. That we can take this prayer and make it our own. I believe we can do so. Given what we saw last week, note verse 29 begins with the word therefore. Therefore, now let it please thee. In light of what? In light of the promise that was revealed. Verse 27. For thou, O Lord of hosts, hast revealed to thy servants, saying, I will build thee an house. That which is revealed and that which is promised. Verse 28. And thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Something's been revealed. Something has been promised. And in light of what's been revealed, in light of what's been promised... Therefore, so we saw, we saw what was revealed, and we saw what was promised. You see, it is the covenantal promise that God makes with David that leads to the prayer, do as thou hast said. But how is this promise fulfilled? It is fulfilled as Christ reigns. The reign is now, Acts chapter 2, but the impact of Christ's reign continues so that we are to pray in the language of Christ, Thy kingdom come. And what is the nature of Christ's kingdom? Christ's kingdom is the fulfillment of God's purpose for David's kingdom promised here in 2 Samuel 7. So if we are to pray, Thy kingdom come, we are absolutely to pray for this prayer at the end of 2 Samuel 7. They are one and the same thing. The promise here is a promise for the establishment of Christ's kingdom. He is ruling and reigning, and he is presently subduing all his and our enemies under his feet. And thus we can take these words of 2 Samuel 7 
as our words and pray them. We can pray them for the church universal, but we also have the right to pray them for the church local. Because we are part of Christ's kingdom. The Christ who reigns is the sole head and king of his church. And it's Christ himself who establishes local churches with elders and deacons and members and the Lord's table. This is all, this is all Christ's kingdom. We are part of Christ's kingdom. We are those who bow the knee to our king. We worship our king, crown him with many crowns. We worship our savior. We are part of Christ's kingdom. And therefore we have the right to pray this. So not only do we have the right, I would also go further. I would exhort you to please pray this prayer. To pray this prayer for our work here. As we seek to go forward as part of Christ's kingdom. This ministry stands in great need. Standing in need of prayer. We're at a juncture in our history, I believe, again, that we are confronted again with our tremendous burden and our need. We need God to bless this house. The simplest of prayers. Let it please thee to bless this house. Christ's house. May it please God to bless us. And so let's begin by thinking about the content of this prayer. The content of this prayer. It's one of those verses that you read and you rejoice in the words. It's beautifully translated again, isn't it? The authorized version puts it in such a beautiful form. Therefore, now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant. And yet perhaps we haven't come to terms with the words actually mean. What are we actually praying for here? What's the word we use most in prayer? Perhaps this is my prayer life. The word I perhaps use most in prayer more than any other is the word bless. Therefore, now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant. Here David asks for blessing. With thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. But do we know what we mean when we say bless? You know, sometimes parents may talk to their children. The children will pray at night and they'll say, Lord, bless the missionaries. That's a wonderful prayer. But it's important that as we pray such prayers that we understand what we're praying for when we ask for God to bless. And so you think about blessing in the Word of God and you even think back to the very first time blessing is used in the Scriptures. It's Genesis chapter 1 where God blessed the animals. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. And that's God's blessing, isn't it? You see, what's the purpose of that blessing? It is the bestowing of good. And let, let, let that kind of concept seep into, into your mind. It is the idea, blessing involves the bestowing of good. And so God, even Genesis chapter 1, is blessing the animals, bestowing good upon them, that they may be able to multiply and be fruitful. God's blessing. But you turn, please, to Genesis chapter 24. Let's look at these together. Genesis chapter 24. Genesis 24 and the verse number 60. Here again, we see another reference to blessing. I'm just using illustrations here to help you uh, perhaps grasp something of this word. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions. And let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate thee. It's about Isaac and Rebekah. And of course, a servant goes and brings Rebekah. And as she leaves, they 
bless her. So what are they doing there? They're expressing audibly and verbally their desire that she would prosper, that she would know the good bestowed upon her, and they bless her. In a similar fashion, over in chapter 27, Genesis 27, of course, the events surrounding the blessing of Esau and Jacob by Isaac in verse number 4, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And what happens? It is Isaac bringing assurances of God's favor and the bestowing of good upon I or upon, upon Jacob and the descendants. It's God's purpose to bless. You see, the word bless stands as opposite to the word for curse. One of the most revealing accounts regarding blessing is found in Numbers chapter 23 in the events regarding Balak and Balaam. Remember the context here, Balak wants Balaam to curse, to curse the people. But you get to verse number 11, it says this, And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies. And behold, thou hast blessed them all together. You see, of course, the cursing means a desire for harm. And therefore, blessing has the idea of a desire for good. Verse 25 Balak says unto Balaam, neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. And so you get the general idea of the word here. It speaks of bestowing good upon another, whether that good is temporal or spiritual or both. And if you keep that in mind, it actually works even in terms of man blessing God. It's used that way, man will bless God. But the good that we bestow upon God is praise and worship. He has no needs. So the good that we bestow upon God is, of course, the praise and worship owed to his name. But as God blesses man, it is the imparting of God's favor, God's good gifts. Balaam's utterances are prophetic of God bestowing good upon Israel, not curses. So blessing sometimes refers to the form of words used in invoking the bestowal of good, and other times refers to the good itself. And so you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, the verse number 29. You see the word blessed there. And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. As God bestows good upon the house of David, it will therefore be able to be said that it is blessed from that, you get the sense of enjoying the blessing of God, the happiness that comes from being blessed of God. So that's the general sense of this, the content of this prayer. And therefore, now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant. But when you do a Bible study of this concept, there are three things in particular that come to the forefront. When you're praying for blessing, there are three particular areas you're praying for. First of all, you're praying for God's presence. You think of the blessing of Numbers chapter 6, the ironic blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Lifting up the light of his countenance upon thee. It's denoting God's favor in his presence. As God's face is upon us, we know his blessing through his presence. Therefore, now let it please thee. 
to be present with the house of thy servants. That's involved in the blessing here. But it also implies God's protection. Look at the words itself. Verse 29. Therefore now that it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. Here's the outworking of his blessing. He needs God's blessing in order that it may continue forever before thee. It's implying protection under God's watchful, protective eye. Wasn't that Balak's annoyance? Balak, he wants the nation to be destroyed, to be ruined. But Balaam's prayed blessing over them. And he understands that blessing involves God's protection. And so, therefore, now that it please thee to protect the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. But also, and perhaps this is most commonly known, it has the idea of prospering. God prospering. You think the language of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 16, every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. And so the blessing there is in terms of prosperity. You give for the work as the Lord has blessed you. It's involving prosperity. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 22. It has that if prospering. Therefore, now that it please thee to bless the house of thy servant. Surely you can see the breadth of this prayer for God to bless. Profound. It's a great prayer when you know what you're praying for. You can summarize all this in the word, God bless this church. But as you pray that, you're praying for God's presence. We need God's face to shine upon us in these days. Can't pretend for a second that we're in the very heights of spiritual joy at this point in time. We need God to come and bless this congregation with His presence in a way that people come through the doors and they'll realize they're in the very presence of God. And the Lord's people, they're they're knowing the joy of the Lord and we have the Lord's blessing, His, His face shining upon us. We need to pray for that. We ought to pray for that. Let it please thee to bless the house of thy servants. We need to pray for God's protection. That as the devil would seek to deceive and destroy, we need to pray for God to protect this work. We are part of Christ's kingdom. We have the right to pray to our heavenly king. Subdue our enemies. Protect the work for Christ's sake, for thy name's sake. We have the right to pray for prosperity, not financial prosperity. We are We are not of this world. We're not here praying this prayer for some sort of sense of a financial blessing. We find ourselves with the coffers overflowing. We're here praying for prosperity in the sense of God bringing precious souls and building up his work. Therefore, now that it please thee to bless the house of thy servant. Remember, please remember. Why can we pray these things? Because we want them, yes, but because God has promised them. If what I'm saying is true, that this prayer pertains to God's kingdom and Christ's kingdom, then if we are part of Christ's kingdom, we have the right to pray to God, do as thou hast said. And it may well be the case that we have not because we ask not. And these things, they they are for us in Christ. They're available for us. But we are not coming to God in prayer as we ought, calling upon God for these things. 
need to cry unto the Lord publicly and privately, Lord, bless the house of thy servant. Bless the house of Christ for his sake. Please, take this upon your heart to plead the promises of God for this church. But secondly, having thought about the content of the prayer, please note the conduct of this prayer. And I've already touched on this. We've already said things about the nature of the model prayer, humility, orthodoxy, fervency. But this, I believe, needs to be a bridge to our next point, our final point. You see, we are seeing this as a promise for now. That the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of Christ is involved in this work. And therefore, this prayer is a prayer for today and for now. And if that's the case, then we must take this prayer and we must realize that we have the right to pray as David prays. Publicly and privately. We must pray with David's boldness. First of all, boldness. Again, I take you back to the words of verse number 25. Do as thou hast said. David expresses the fact that he has found this prayer in his heart. That's there. It's a wonderful thing. Verse 27. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. He would never have dared prayer, such a prayer, unless he had first received the promise of God. And having received the promise of God, he can boldly pray. Our prayers are often weak because we do not grasp the promises of God. Things that we once knew, but through neglect we find ourselves, the promises at the very back of our minds, and not at the very forefront of our minds, and thus... When it comes to pray, we lack boldness because we cannot plead the promises of God as we ought. As God's people, we must day by day be searching the word of God for his promises, for his purposes. And that we then say to God, do as thou hast said. We have the promise. It's not only David's oars that get to prayer in that regard. But yet as we come boldly, we must come humbly. See, boldness in prayer is not brashness, it is not harsh demands, it reverently approaches. Verse 27 again, or sorry, verse number 29, therefore now let it please thee. The recognition of humility approaching the Lord with reverence. David's eye is to the glory of God, as we've seen, the promise is true and sure, but the petitioning comes with the realization that it's all of grace. Therefore, now let it please thee. We, we do come before God boldly. We do so in the recognition that if God answers such prayers, it is only by His grace. We go back to the very beginning of the prayer, verse number 18. Who am I, O Lord God? We meet together Wednesday evening. We can all say with a collective word, Who are we, O Lord God? We come that you would do as you have promised, that you'd bless this house as you have promised. But who are we? And so the conduct of the prayer is marked by boldness, but also humility. But the boldness that comes with humility comes in the third place from the confidence of this prayer. You see, boldness comes in light of his doctrines again. David prays this because he is convinced regarding the faithfulness of God. He has no doubt in his mind. There's a parallel to this account in 1 Chronicles chapter 17 in the verse number 27. And in that account it says this, 
Now therefore let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may be before thee forever. For thou blessest, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. There's the confidence in the prayer. There's the, the burden, the realization. That as it says in Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, says Balaam, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. You see, we come before God in prayer for the work of God in light of the confidence of God's faithfulness. I see two things, and then we'll close. The conviction that David has in prayer here is based upon God's pure word. Look at verse number 28. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true. It's easily said. It's more difficult to believe. If we're honest, we sometimes read the promises of God and we say, how can that possibly be so? In light of all the wickedness of the world, how can God preserve His church? How can His church be built to a multitude that no man can number? I say those things and you go, no, 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 preacher, we believe that. Well, good, perhaps I just reflect on my own heart. And the struggles I have when I cut to prayer, I want to believe that God's Word is true. But faith comes by the Spirit of God. And if we remain in sin, it troubles us with unbelief. And so as you pray for God to do as He said, you should also pray the prayer, Lord, help me to believe Thy words be true. That my prayers are grounded upon the conviction of Your pure Word that will not fail. You are God, not man. You cannot lie. And therefore, Your words are true. And therefore, I can pray, do as Thou hast said. The conviction is based upon God's pure word. It's also based upon God's past works. I skipped over the section, verse 23, and following where he deals and outlines the nation that God has chosen, namely Israel, to be blessed. But you'll see David does, as so many do in prayer, they go back to the Exodus. And they reflect upon what God has done in the past in his works. How he's redeemed these people which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt. They were delivered to be God's chosen people. And he has preserved them, redeemed them and preserved them. Verse 24, For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. He's getting to God in prayer in the conviction that God's past works prove God's faithfulness and his love for his people and for his name. How much more can we pray for the blessing of God? They could pray on the ground of the Red Sea. They could pray on the ground of Jordan. We can pray on the ground of Calvary, on the ground of the empty tomb, on the ground of the resurrection. We have the faithful testament of the Word of God. As Christ came into the world and died for our sins, we can see this is what God has done in proving His determination to bless His people and to honor His name. His Son came, died, was buried, rose again, and ascended triumphantly even over death itself. Therefore now, let it please Thee. The great need of the hour for this church 
is the blessing of God. We need God to come and bless us afresh. New blessings. Fresh blessings. And it is the great privilege of the saints to pray this prayer. This is our privilege. We've been showing it in the Word of God. The promise of 2 Samuel 7 is for us today. May God help us to work this through in our prayer lives for His name's sake. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Let's join together, please. Get before God in your hearts right now, and let's together with one accord pray for God to be pleased to bless this work. Eternal God, in humility we come before Thee. Who are we? We're sinners saved by grace. We're a company of the redeemed and we're we're marked, O Lord, by remaining sin and corruption. We wrestle with unbelief. And O Lord, we come humbly. You have brought us hitherto. You think, O Lord, we think of the work that you've established in this place 40 plus years ago. For your hand upon it, for drawing souls together under the preaching of the word. And, O Lord, there have been so many ups and downs and challenges, and, O Lord, we come afresh, and we ask, O Lord, for your blessing. Bless this work, we pray. May tonight, even as our hearts are knit together, may tonight be a time when you hear our cries, and we know a fresh sense of thy presence, a renewed conviction regarding your protection over us, and, dear Father, your pleasure to prosper us. Bless this work. O Lord, it is our desire for souls to grow, to be edified. May your people prosper in this place. And may lost souls be brought under the word of God, whereby they'd know conviction in thy presence, under thy word, and they'd come to confess Jesus Christ to be Lord and God. Dear Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. O Lord, hear us as we pray. Help us all, O Lord, help us to resolve in our minds to get before Thee more and more. Not that You will hear us, O Lord, for our much asking, but rather, dear Father, of the common dependence, You are pleased to bless those, the people who humble themselves and call upon Thee. Grant us grace to this end, we pray, and bless those out of Christ, those who have no desire for Christ in the kingdom, Open their eyes, subdue them, we pray to thy will. Draw them to thyself. Hear us tonight. May your blessing indeed rest and abide upon us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.